and welcome back to Sprinkles of SEL with U2L, a podcast on social and emotional learning, wellness, neuroscience, and healthy habits for educators and anyone in the education space. I'm Namratha. And I'm Claire. And we are part of the SEL team here. So you might notice that Sprinkles of SEL sounds a little bit different today, and that is because we have our very wonderful SEL coordinator, Claire, here guest hosting this special episode with me while Lauren is away. So hi, Claire. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Namratha. Thank you so much for having me on maybe the best podcast in existence, Sprinkles of SEL. Oh, yeah. And undoubtedly the best, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So today's Sprinkle of SEL is about communication. How do we communicate? What does good, effective communication look like? And the value of being compassionate communicators, especially in our schools. So I think this is a great uh, episode to have you on, Claire, just because I feel like you're just one of the best communicators I know. Um, And so I want to start us off by thinking about what is good communication, right? What does good communication look and sound like to you? To me, I think that good communication not only involves communicating your feelings respectfully and also intentionally, But also on the other side of it, listening to someone with your full attention, your body language, um, and, you know, asking questions, not being distracted. I think that is also a big part of good communication. Yeah. And I feel like you said a lot of key things there. And, like, one of the things that jumped out at me was, like, communicating with intent, right? It is really about making sure that what you're meeting is coming out as clearly and and as concisely as you'd like it to be. But then I think the other part of that, which I think we uh, may not put enough emphasis on in communication is the other part of listening and active listening, especially like we, like what you said. Um, so it's, it's as much as you're communicating, but also just as much as how you're able to take things in. Um, And I think we also know, right, that being a good communicator um, is a good thing and we want to be a good communicator because there's just so many benefits towards just being able to build a better trust and understanding between us and others. Um, You have stronger connections. You are able to, like, resolve conflicts faster. Um, And it helps us in the workplace. It helps us with just, like, um, performing better as a team and just being able to have actually our own improvements in our mental health. And there's research to corroborate that, which is really awesome. Um, but, you know, let's dive in a little bit more into what goes on in the process of communication. So, Claire, go ahead and share that out for us. Absolutely. So just to break it down to the basics, the process in which communication occurs involves three things, the sender, the message, and then the receiver. So in order for a healthy line of communication to occur between two parties or two individuals, research shows that we essentially need to determine what our intention or our message is to convey this message effectively or intentionally, as we mentioned earlier, and to ensure that the receiver has received this message appropriately. So good and effective communication occurs when we have unity between our thoughts and and our words and when our intended message lines up with our actual message or what we say. And then conversely, bad bad and ineffective communication occurs when there's a misalignment between those two. So how do we set ourselves up to be good communicators, Namratha? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked, right? And I think what you said was so important. And I think the way we have to set ourselves up to be like a good um, and, and set up a healthy streamline of communication is just by being clear, be concise, be emotionally aware of ourselves and how we are articulating with others um, and just how we are receiving 
that feedback as well, right? And that that happens through active listening once again. So this also goes back to something that we've spoken on before in this podcast in season one, episodes four and five, which is our locus of control. So we can't control how our messages are going to be received by the receiver, but we do have control and influence over how we are shaping this message ourselves. So that is to say it is ultimately our choice how we choose to phrase something, how we're setting the tone, how loudly or softly that we are speaking in, um, and just how clear and effective that we're trying to be, right? Um, And we have to consider then on this note, right, how is our communication being also influenced by something like our cultural norms and our expectations? Because we may have one set of expectations on what feels like appropriate communication, but the person we're interacting with may come from a completely different understanding and different background. Um, And I think that's just one thing we have to be mindful of. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that makes me think of just a minor example from my own life. But when you speak about cultural um, norms or cultural differences, I think that even regionally there can be differences in the United States. Like, for example, I went to visit the Northeast, and I'm a girl from the South. So I'm used to people being very open, very warm, and very polite. And when I went to the Northeast, I— think I interpreted the communication up there, especially among strangers, as a little bit more cold or a little bit colder Mm -hmm. than how it is here. And that is a great example of how it's not necessary. That doesn't necessarily mean that communication is worse in any way. It's just different. And I think that's a great example of something that we need to be aware of and not take personally uh, when we're thinking about communication in different cultures or different regions. And I think to that point, it's also about Someone, you know, from a different region may be speaking in a way that you might receive as cold, but they may just not have intended for that to be the case, right? So just because I'm receiving this as cold, you might be thinking like, no, I'm being really welcoming right now. Right. Like bringing <laughs> it back all the way to intent is, exactly. is key for sure. Exactly. Right. Um, and that makes me think a lot about um, just like a different take on that as well, which is where, um, so I'm Indian, right? So for example, I think when I communicate with um, a lot of, especially elders, I want to say in my community, but just just in general, um, people from my uh, background versus those who are like not Indian, I've noticed there is a shift in just like the way our tone is and our volume as well. And there's just those little itty bitty things that's part of our like nonverbal parts of communication. So tone, diction, articulation, like volume, all of these things that we don't think consciously about, but I recognize, I, I have, I've had to recognize that I have to be so mindful when I, I think, um, conversate with just people from different backgrounds because the way I talk to a friend who is Indian may actually shift a little bit to the one who's not because there's just some contextual stuff. There's some cultural stuff um, that plays into like that rapport that we have, right? So. Yeah, that is just to say, like, we, even if you don't know what someone's background is, it's just to be mindful of, like, what what people might perceive your interaction to be. Right. And as they say sometimes, it's like to assume positive intent mm-hmm. as you don't know maybe what someone's difference in background is, like you said. So I think that's a great example. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Yeah. Thanks. So to continue, uh, another big part of good communication is also based on our nonverbal communication. So this includes not just how we say something, which would be tone, diction, as Namratha mentioned, pacing, volume, but also our facial expressions and our body language. So Namratha, what percentage of our nonverbal cues do you think play a role in our overall communication? Okay, so based off of what you just shared, I think it should be a high number. So I'm going to guess like 70-ish percent. 
That's super close, actually right in the range. So okay. research shows actually that nonverbal cues can have between 65 and 93% oh, more impact in a conversation than the spoken word itself or the message that you can pay, convey. So that is a big difference. That's a huge difference. 93 is, is, is giant. Quite high. Yeah. And furthermore, when we're faced with spoken communication and nonverbal cues that are in disagreement or conflict with each other, mm-hmm. we're more likely to believe the latter. So what that means is that what you say means less than actually how you say something. So it's just something to keep in mind. That's fair. That's fair. And I was actually just speaking with a friend about this very thing yesterday. And I think it's a common experience that maybe all of us have been a part of at one time or another is that when we ask someone how they are mm-hmm. and their response is, I'm fine. <laughs> and you know that maybe that's not the full truth, right? Based on their fine. body language and their tone of voice, they're probably not fine, right? And so this scenario just happened to me and my friend's nonverbal cues gave away that he was struggling with something. And when I detected that, we were able to talk through it and cheer him up. But I think it's all about just like using those nonverbal cues in addition to what's actually said to kind of figure out what someone is trying to say, what mm-hmm. their intent is and what their message is. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great point. And I think... I mean, that's something to think about, too, where if our nonverbal cues are playing that big of a role in our communication, like, why is that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and let's just dive into the brain science behind this for a second, right? So this is because um, these signals are being sent from our limbic system. So this is our emotional brain and our neocortex. Um, and the amygdala, which is our emotional processing center, they, the amygdala lives in this neocortex, and it's the first part of the brain that receives the emotional information and then determines how are we going to react to it. So when we're portraying certain, you know, nonverbal cues, especially through our body language, right, and that's also something that we exhibit based on our old cultural norms, again, um, as well as our facial expressions. So that's like a smile or a relaxed stance or maybe folded arms or just like if you're like really tense and that's coming through in your body language. Our message whether we intend for it to be delivered to others or not, is already being subconsciously processed in that other person's brains. And it's going to inform how they are interacting with us. So really what that means is, right, again, practice a little bit of mindfulness and, and just be aware of not just what you're saying or what's being said, but what's also not. And also just like the way you're saying these things. And it just we have to think for ourselves, like, are we encoding messages for others to interpret in a way that we're just not aware of? I agree. And I think it's important to mention that awareness, like we said, goes for both sides, right? Mm-hmm, so like, mm-hmm. not only should you be aware of how your um, message is coming across to someone else, but you should also be, also be aware that someone else's message is coming across to you in a way that maybe they didn't intend, as we mentioned before. So yeah. it's both of them, yeah. both sides are important. That's great. Mm-hmm. And also, effective communication is a great thing to practice for ourselves, for our teams, and with our students. But just as important as it is to be effective with what we're communicating, it's also important to be compassionate in the way that we do so. Mm -hmm. However, sometimes the way we view compassion is not the way that others might perceive it. So, back to the basics again, what is compassion? Well, compassion is defined as the feeling we get when we perceive that someone else is struggling with something and that we're motivated to help relieve them of those struggles. Compassionate communication is then communicating in a way that's not only effective, but is also about being supportive, empathetic, 
and then also receptive to other people's needs and feelings while also being culturally culturally responsive, as we said before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really great point that you bring up where I think when we're talking about culturally responsive communication and compassionate communication, there's a lot of overlap there, right? If we're thinking about cultural culturally responsive communication, that can be sort of defined as, you know, communicating with awareness and knowledge of your cultural differences, and then you are attempting to accommodate those differences. So I think it sounds pretty similar to what we're understanding when it comes to being compassionate in our communication as well. And I think it just begs for us to really think through, right, you know, especially not just with the students that we're working with, but especially with the adults as well. Are we setting the stage to engage in compassionate communications with people outside of our culture? You know, and we're far more inclined to show that compassion and grace with kids again. But how can we push ourselves to do that with our colleagues? And I think this especially goes for our educators in our schools because you're working in high stress work environments. You know, and you're experiencing higher cortisol levels on a daily basis, whether we again recognize this or not. And so we have to just take that minute to say, okay, can I give some grace for this, you know, teacher across the hall who might be going through something? Because as burnt out as maybe I'm feeling, they're probably feeling maybe more than that. Um, and I think the other part of this is is additionally, apart from just giving grace uh, within our adult relationships, it's also just an opportunity to model, you know, this appropriate communication, compassionate communication for our students at the end of the day. So it's also a teaching experience if you think about it that way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we've been talking about this a little bit, and I think let's let's just take a minute to dive into how are we becoming then compassionate communicators. And it's it's a difficult thing, right, to communicate with love to others, especially when we are just also trying to have trying to be firm with them. Sometimes you have to like lay down that um ground rule almost, but then you're trying to be nice about it. And it's it's a fine, fine line to walk. I definitely agree. I think sometimes compassionate and effective could seem at odds with it, with one another, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily true. It doesn't have to be true. Yeah. Um, and through our research, we found uh, Michelle Becker, who is the author of Compassion for Couples and also a marriage and family therapist. And she shares the four C's of compa- compassionate communication. So we'll go over those really quickly. The first C is centering. So sometimes it's helpful to pause. And as we've spoken about with mindfulness, we just want to take a moment to focus our attention on our breathing and also be aware of our bodily sensations and any tension. So that's the first C to keep in mind when we're talking about compassionate communication. The second is curiosity. So notice what might be under your anger or frustration if that comes up in a conversation. Something that we've shared before in this podcast is that anger is a secondary emotion. Additionally, something to keep in mind or something to ask yourself is, are there any vulnerable feelings that might need attention? So keep that focus on yourself and speak from vulnerability. The third C of compassionate communication is connection. So it's important to remember the connection that you have with the person that's listening to you or communicating to you, even whenever tension or conflict might arise. Obviously, it's human to make mistakes, so as best as you can, you want to speak with an attitude of gentleness to that person, and you also want to try to avoid blame, accusations, and name-calling or anything of that sort. Mm -hmm. The last C of compassionate communication, or the fourth, is compassion. Imagine that, right? (laughs) So is there something you might need from the person listening to you? And how might you feel calmed, comforted, and reassured in that conversation? 
Remember to not be afraid to ask for what you might need to be reassured. So those are the four C's of compassionate communication. I love that. And I I think it brings me back to um, uh, actually an event in my own life that occurred a few weeks ago. Um, And I think I did a relatively okay job portraying these Cs, and so I'll share. Um, It was a situation where I was having trouble communicating with a very close friend of mine. This is somebody I consider to be family. Um, And I finally, this person called me back on the phone, and they were sharing a lot of their difficulties that they had been going through, and that's why they didn't pick up the phone and call me. And I was trying to work through my own emotions, and I think I worked through most of them before we had spoken, but... What I was doing, I was trying to center myself as this other person was talking. So I was trying to take a pause and I was trying to breathe and focus in on that. And I was trying to stay, again, curious, right? So I was trying to be able to um, understand, like, as frustrated as I am with this person, why also is that? And I think, um, you know, something that you said and something we've shared before, right, is anger is a secondary emotion. So underneath that anger, it was a lot of just sadness, um, that I did not want to lose this person in my life. And I was really hoping that that wouldn't be the case. Um, and then as this person was sharing like what had what had been happening um, with them, I was just trying to remember again through the frustration that I was feeling with them that I have a very deep connection with this person and I want to be able to be there for them. Um, but I also had to be firm in my communication. So this was something where I was trying to be a compassionate communicator, but I was also trying to be a very firm one. So I told them, and I said, hey, I'm here for you, and I'm so sorry you were struggling. Um, I just wish you had known that, uh, you know, I wish you had felt that you could have picked up the phone and called me because I'm there for you, and I would have been there for you, you know? Um, And so I did also lay out that expectation, like, I need some sort of, like, communication from you at this point because, I'm thinking like something's really, really wrong unless you tell me otherwise. Um, And they understood. And I think it was a very good interaction at the end of the day. And they've gotten much better at if they are not responding or or if they're not like uh, available for a phone call at any point, they're at least responding to say, hey, I'm so sorry. I just I'm busy with something. And so I'll get back to you. So I appreciate that because that is something that's going to make me feel reassured. Absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like you really employed, maybe without even realizing it, the four C's of yeah. compassionate communication. Um, do you work on the SEL team or something? Oh my gosh. I mean- <laughs> it's crazy, right? It's crazy. Yeah, that's kind of like worked out. I was, I was, I really wasn't thinking about this consciously, but we can think about these things consciously the next time we are in this interaction. Especially so. when you're in a difficult interaction that maybe you don't know how to navigate. I think it's important yeah. to have a framework to come back to. Yeah. And I will say, I think that interaction was almost I wouldn't say easy but it was manageable because it was a close person that I would I was so, so someone I was close with I'm sure something like that would be 10 times harder if you are dealing with someone you're not as familiar with a coworker you know an employee whoever that might be it is going to be 10 times harder to be um as firm and as open and as honest as you'd like to be while still uh, demonstrating some compassion for that person, right? Um, so that is to say, right, we're not perfect, but we can we can work through this and we can use these four C's to get help us get there. Definitely. Yeah, And I think that uh, that's something we have to think about then when it comes to compassionate communication, we have to ask ourselves, does this have a place in our schools? Because we've been talking a little bit more general. Right, and we are a podcast for educators and, and anyone <laughs> in the education space. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> But I think compassion and communication, it does go a long way in providing something that is so important for us, not just in like a general workspace or in our interactions day to day, but especially in our schools and with our students, 
which is a sense of security, right? And so this is almost trauma-informed if you think about it. We have to be compassionate communicators in our schools in order for our children to feel safe and secure and ready to learn and engage with all the humans in that building. Absolutely. And now that you say that, that actually goes back to something that you guys talked about um, at the very beginning of this podcast in season one, episode one, before I even worked here, might I add, when I listened (laughs) to the podcast, um, which is the affective filter. So just as a refresher, when we feel unsafe or uncomfortable in our environment, our emotional wall or our, our affective filter goes up. But when we feel psychologically safe in our environment, we bring that wall down. And so, therefore, we're more open and ready to receive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, obviously, in this education context, we wonder, how do we get our students' walls to go down? Well, we have to make sure that our students and also our colleagues, like Namratha emphasized before, feel safe. And so, compassionate communication is a key part of that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think just to add on, right? So it's it's about practicing this again, not just with our students, but with our coworkers, with our colleagues, um, as educators, recognizing that with empathy as well, that whatever you might be experiencing, someone else probably in the next room to you might be experiencing something very similar. So how can that uh, communication, you know, play a really key role in being able to demonstrate that empathy and connect with them? you know, and and ensure that you are there for each other. Um, Absolutely. And like I said, you guys are in a very, very, uh, I want to say high stress environment and you're getting close to testing and it's not going to, it's only going to go up a little bit. And so um, it's something we want to just practice on a more regular basis, especially keeping in mind, we just talked about habits in our last episode too. So think about this as a habit that you can practice and build up until it's just a part of your system. Right. And that'll also help with relationship building, which I know Mm -hmm. is a future topic. It is a future topic. Yes. (laughs) So to summarize, healthy communication, super important. We have to be good communicators to be able to function for ourselves and for others. But healthy communication involves not just being an effective communicator, but being a compassionate one. We want to give our colleagues the same grace that we are giving our children. And we want to make sure our our communication is as compassionate and as culturally responsive and sensitive as we can be. We have to be. So before we close out, Claire, we have to talk about our commitments for the week. So what's your commitment for this week? I'm so excited to share as this is my first ever podcast episode, obviously, (laughs) but also then my first commitment to share. Um, And I think this week I'm really focusing on with being at the office and sitting down all day. I think it's been really important for me to focus on moving my body more each day, especially working from home. You know, sometimes you don't even get outside. And so, or maybe that's just me, (laughs) (laughs) but it's important for me to be able to have that source of physical activity to really help with my stress and anxiety. So that's something that I'm really hoping to um, increase this week. What about you? I love that. And mine's actually a little similar to yours. I've set myself a goal, a goal to reach uh, 10,000 steps every day. And I think I've been meeting that fairly well. Um, And I will say, apart from just like having a goal as a motivation, I think it's been really helpful because I need that me time, honestly, just to like go on my walk each day and like decompress from just whatever happened on that day. So I think something like that has been helpful. And it's it's been easier for me to keep as a commitment because it provides me that outlet. So absolutely. Yeah. All righty. And then 
Of course, last but not least, we want to go through our mindful moment for today's episode. So today's mindful moment is brought to us as usual by the Little Book of Mindfulness. Um, And it is this really beautiful quote by Rumi. And um, I love it. And it says, Let go of your mind and then be mindful. Close your ears and listen. Wow, that really speaks to my soul. I love that. Close your ears and listen. Um, So thank you guys. Thank you for a great episode. Absolutely, absolutely. And of course, we can't end without saying, educators, we see you. We appreciate you. We are here for you. Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for supporting our podcast. And don't forget to like and review this podcast on whatever platform you're streaming from and email us at sel at unitedtolearn.org if there's a topic on your mind that you'd like to learn more about. See you next time on Sprinkles of SEL. Bye. Bye, guys. See you guys.